Welcome back to Athens' favorite history podcast. Is this too niche? We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Jada. I don't know why I end up doing a country accent every time. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are going to be discussing some crazy and interesting stories about hermits through history. But before we get into it, last week's question of the week was, if you could rewrite any fairy tale, which would you pick? I only, I know my favorite answer. I don't know if we had, I saw. That was the only one. I saw one. So our our favorite one and our only one. Thank you for answering, Evie. Love Evie. She said Ariel, because why does she do all that for a man who does nothing for her? Fox. PSA, if you're listening on Spotify, yeah. Go answer our Q&As because they're fun, please. Yes, they're so fun and, and we like get to hear out. from you. Yeah. And if you have good music, you get shouted out and then people can be like, wow, you have good music after they click on your profile. Sure. Okay. Time to dive into the world of hermits. The word hermit stems from the Greek eremos, meaning wilderness or isolated place. In English, the word er- eremites was translated into a Christian hermit or recluse. The vocation of hermit became popular among early Christians and took stories like Elijah and John the Baptist, who wanted to live a life set apart from everyone else. So so they went into the desert in order to live their lives of prayers and penance. According to the church, the definition of a hermit is someone who chooses to withdraw from the world and live in solitary silence where they will devote their life to the praise of God and probably lose their minds. Okay, work. For people that believe in this, they seem to really enjoy themselves. <laughs> I noticed that some of their lives aren't 100% in solitude. From the accounts I read, they tend to invite people over to pray together and bask in solitude and even host masses. Me and the girls basking in solitude. <laughs> yes, us every day. Uh-huh. St. Paul of Thebes is considered to be one of the earliest hermits and one of the first Christian hermits. He was said to have been born in the 3rd century AD in Upper Egypt. He was Christian from an early age, and it's said that he was deeply affected by the persecution of Christians under the Roman Emperor Decius. So he fled to the desert to seek solitude and escape persecution. Mm -hmm. He ended up living in the desert for over 60 years and survived on nothing but a handful of dates and a bit of water every day. The normal challenge. Scrumptious. (laughs) He lived in a cave where he prayed and meditated and was said to have spent his days and nights in constant communion with God. Okay, freaky. (laughs) Sorry. That's probably, like, really inappropriate and blasphemous, but I think you should keep it in because it was funny. (laughs) Paul had many visions and revelations during this time, which helped him understand the love of God and the importance of humility and detachment from the world. This is so normal, Corbin. Yeah. He was also said to have received the Eucharist from an angel. Is the angel in the room with us? (laughs) Which, imagine eating only a handful of dates for 60 years. The stomach problems this man must have had. No, he was getting his fiber. Excruciating. (laughs) Excruciating. He was, quote, rescued by St. Anthony the Great, who went out to find Paul when he himself wanted to flee the world. And he found Paul, which a few days after they found each other, Paul instructed St. Anthony then died 
and his cave became a place of pil- pilgrimage. Okay. Now St. Paul is considered the patron saint of hermits, anchorites, and desert dwellers. He is also used as protection from lions because it is said that the lions were his only companion in the desert and they protected him from thieves and animals. I think St. Paul was a bit Delulu. Yeah. But there are lesser extremes of hermiting within religions like nuns or even monks. One group of monks especially wanted to live the life of a hermit was the Carthusian monks who lived in a charter house in the mountains of France. This was in 1084 when they settled. They were known as Christ Poor Men. The charter house that they lived in had no decorations. Where they they all wore the same outfit and spent most of their time in their own cells. Me and the girls. Yeah. I don't know how to emphasize this enough. They're completely cut off from their families. And after taking a vow of silence, they are only allowed to have very brief conversations once a week I in the courtyard. of existence. Yeah, honestly. That's us in our dorm. Yeah. <laughs> and twice a year, there is a day-long community recreation where they can have annual visits from only immediate family members. Members, I read somewhere that if they were to talk to each other at any time, the only thing they were allowed to say was memento mori. Normal. Yeah. <laughs> this just sounds a little bit of, like torture. So overall, there was a lot of hermiting in the church because of the religious connections they believed in. And you'll kind of see how lots of the time the life of a hermit is a heavily spiritual existence. But before we tread on, it is time for a somewhat early Zoe's Corner. So I'm sending you over to Zoe's. Good luck. And then afterwards, we'll get into some of the crazy hermits. Mm -hmm. Hi. I would usually welcome you into Zoe's Corner, but this week I actually have to ask that you step outside and stay there. I'm quite dedicated to my isolation, but you can get comfy outside. What, so are we like putting a cup to the door and listening? Yeah, something like that. You're just talking to yourself. Um, Yeah, I have quite the hermit to tell you about today, and it is not myself, believe it or not. I'm actually going to be talking about two hermits because they're kind of connected. Before I get into that, I want to do like a brief shout out to this one hermit that I was going to talk about, but I found someone more interesting. (laughs) There was one hermit named Hildegard of Bingen, and this was like in the Middle Ages. Noble families would just like give their children to the church sometimes, Mm -hmm. and the church would build a room around the child (laughs) and keep the child like locked up in this room with only like space to give the child food. And the child would, like, stay there for, like, forever. And Hildegard was one of these child children. And she eventually escaped her room and became, like, a really famous person, like, religious <laughs> figure. I thought it was interesting. So normal. You just hand over your child and then they build a brick wall around them. Yeah. Very normal And behavior. never let them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, the hermit that I'm going to be talking about today is not that kind of hermit. We're going to be talking about the stylite hermits, but in order to understand them, we have to talk about Simon, I'm going to say Simon, Simon Stylites, who was born in 390 under the Byzantine Empire. He became a devoted Christian very early in his life, and at the age of 15, he joined a monastery, but was kicked out for being opposed to the community aspect of monastic living. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So in response, he shut himself in a hut for a year and a half without eating or (laughs) drinking. And when he emerged, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. 
So news of this achievement spread, and a lot of pilgrims came after Simon in search of him. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name wrong or right, but I don't care. I'm calling him Simon. <laughs> what is it? Simone? It was S-I-M-E-O-N. Simeon. Oh. But that sounds stupid. Yeah, just... So pilgrims came after Simon, and he was like, this is not what I wanted. This is actually <laughs> the opposite of what I wanted. So he took to wandering in the mountains, and he lived in a cave for a bit. But once more, the pilgrims found him, so he started wandering again, and eventually he found a pillar in Talata, Syria. This pillar was about 10 feet tall, so he naturally climbed to the top and decided to settle up there. Like a man-made, I don't know if it was man-made actually, but just like a, a pillar. <laughs> like, I, I don't think we're understanding this. Just He just decides to climb on top of a pillar and post up yeah. there. What, Corinthian, Doric? Hell if I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so atop the pillar, he could separate himself from his pilgrims and from the rest of humanity and seek closer communion with God. He decided to go even farther, finding a new pillar, which ended up about 60 feet tall and 6 feet in diameter. He lived atop the pillar on a little platform for the last consecutive three decades of his life, never once coming down. Six-foot platform on top of a 60-foot pillar. That's just a little crazy. I know. Um, he would chain himself to the platform so that he wouldn't fall while sleeping, he gathered a lot of supporters, and people below would send up a local boy to climb up a the pillar. A local boy? Yes, a local nimble boy. Fitch the local boy! That's what I'm saying, like, for real. And the boy would bring up goat milk and bread ah. every day for Simon's meal. That's so funny. And they eventually had to build a double wall around the base of the column to keep the pilgrims even further away because they were obsessed with him <laughs> he sometimes would however deliver sermons or accept visitors but the visitors would have to make the climb up to him on september 2nd 459 a disciple found saint simon's body dead kneeled in oh prayer God. atop the pillar so like no joke for the last 30 years of his life, he was up there nonstop, never came down. And as a matter of fact, on they celebrate in the Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches, St. Simon on September 1st, which is my birthday. Oh, so. cute. <laughs> um, the particular pillar that Simon used is was actually destroyed during the Syrian conflict in 2016, but the site still exists, and the remaining eight feet of the pillar are still uh, delineated, and there is a boulder placed on top to mark its significance. Mm -hmm. From then on, the tradition, the stylite tradition continued, which is a unique Byzantine practice, sometimes referred to as urban eremitism, and the practice ended once the Ottomans took over the Byzantine Empire, but there is still one living stylite today, who I want to talk about. He's my second hermit. This is Father Maxim. He is a... Actually, it's probably Maxim. This is Father Maxim. He's a 59-year-old man who lives alone atop a natural pillar in the remote Georgian mountains. And let me give you some background on the site before I tell you about him. The Kochki Pillar is a natural rock formation in the country Georgia. It is believed to have been a pagan site of worship about 2,000 years ago. It might have also represented a local fertility god, 
and it was used by Christian ascetics in the 6th through 8th century uh, common era. In 1944, a group of mountaineers scared, scaled the pillar and found the remains of a chapel and the remains of a 16 er, of a 600-year-old skeleton of a stylite monk. Oh my god. Carrying on the tradition. So, in 1993, after spending some time in prison, Father Maxim returned to Christianity. He took monastic vows and scaled the pillar. For the first two years, he slept in an old fridge (laughs) to protect himself from the weather, just alone up on top of this pillar. But the local Christian community eventually came together and built him a small cottage on top of the pillar, as well as a ladder. The cottage stands 131 feet high in the air, takes about 20 minutes to get up or down the ladder. At the base of the pillar is a chapel dedicated to St. Simon, and local Christian priests and boys will study at this chapel and receive counsel from Father Maxim, who comes down twice a week to work with these visitors. Otherwise, townspeople will send food up to him via a complicated pulley system, and if one wants to join him on top of the pillar, they have to go through a special series of four-day-long prayer including like I, I included some pictures but like the photographer who went up there to take yeah, pictures yeah because you're go freaking gonna die <laughs> going up 120 feet of ladders and there's absolutely no way that that old man scaled 120 uh, for 20, 120 feet well he was not pillar. old when he did it for the well, first time in my head all hermits are old <laughs> so yeah I thought that was really interesting that's crazy and that's kind of a brief rundown on the stylite monk tradition which is specifically monks who live on top of pillars. I just think it's very unique that there's, you know, more than one. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. So I'm going to have to ask that you climb back down the ladder that you took to get up here to Zoe's Corner because I have to commune with God, in parentheses, (laughs) Ethel Kane. And eat dates. I will not be doing that. Okay. (laughs) Back to Jada. Well, you're not normal. Okay. So thank you, Zoe, for that wonderful Zoe Corner. Before I go into some more crazy hermit stories, I wanted to talk a bit about the history of the well-known and loved garden hermits, also known as gnomes. And this is kind of crazy and I can't believe I didn't know about it. So in 18th century England, you're walking down the street and you look to your left in your neighbor's garden and there's a dirty bearded old man posing in their yard, which my family has taken this trend and ran with it Mm -hmm. because I quite literally just described my father and he's always outside gardening or doing something other random shit in our yard. And this sounds ridiculous, but at my house and in 18th century England, it was normal. Mm -hmm. There are There were specific hermits for hire that would be encouraged to dress as a druid and made to live on a grotto on the rich family's property. Okay. The wealthy landowner would care for these guys, talk to them, but sometimes they would choose to genuinely just watch them as entertainment. And they got paid for it. This is an actual plotline from Phineas and Ferb. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Is it really? This is Doofenshmirtz's backstory. Oh! Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> His dad made him yeah. dress up as a gnome and stand outside, and then they shipped him off to America. <laughs> That's true! Yeah! Yeah! Very true! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! This is nicht gut. <laughs> That's all I know of German. Most of the time, it was an agricultural worker or gardener that would take on the position. The yard hermit was supposed to be the living embodiment of melancholy for the rich and privileged to feel better about themselves. Okay, weird. (laughs) 
One account said that the hermit is never to leave the place or hold conversation with anyone for seven years. Seven years? Mm Mm-hmm. During which he is neither to wash himself or cleanse himself in any way whatever, but to let his hair and nails, both on hands and feet, grow Uh, as long as nature will permit them. Me on my backpacking trip in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. This hermit craze is often credited to Charles V, the Roman emperor and king of Spain, who spent some of his last years in a monastery that was home to an order of hermit monks. And then that leads into the creation in the late 18th century, the traditional garden gnome, which in actuality could have been a reference to the mythological European idea of little people who live underground and and that aren't seen. (laughs) But I think the real hermit men are a little more interesting. Yeah. But let's get back on track and talk about another hermit in history. So just to set the scene, the year is 1827, and we are in the mountains of of superstitions in Arizona. And you are walking up a beautiful stream where you see an old man who's slightly, slightly creepy, looking (laughs) creepy, tending to his... So any man? Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Tending to his brand new garden all by himself. This man is Alicia Marcus Rivas, and he just moved here, leaving his wife and kid home because he found a position transporting supplies for the U.S. Army through military trails. Now, you weren't actually walking through the wilderness just then, and this scene would be incredibly uncommon because this area was actually occupied by some of the fiercest and toughest Native American tribes there had ever been, the Apache tribes. And Alicia Marcus Rivas, with his little white man god complex, decided he would be the first to plant himself in their territory. So his first order of business was to establish dominance. What he did was ever so slightly put a slit in his door just so he could shoot at the Apache with his gun from the safety of his home. And that's what he did. He ended up killing three Apaches. That's so horrible. I'm not even done. No, I know, but also, like, he's like, oh, I'm establishing my dominance, but actually I'm gonna stay behind this door. and be scared. And just, yeah. But just wait. Okay, okay. (laughs) Now, something that was well-known about the Apache was that they had a sort of taboo against killing or harming the mentally insane, and Rebus heard that, and he ran with it. In this moment... (laughs) Rivas stripped off all of his clothes, and with a butcher knife in each hand, he charged into the Apache camp, yelling and screaming like a lunatic, and the Apache obviously were like, hell no, Mm -hmm. and they ran up the hills. The Apache also gave him the nickname the White Devil. Okay. Rivas really played his part. He He knew what was up. He had a long, matted beard and small, beady eyes and became the mountain man. Overall, Rivas cultivated and irrigated about 15 acres of land and had a whole farm going on. And all the way up into his 60s, he would go from his farm to the nearby towns to sell his goods. And because he lived on his own and was somewhat of a strange guy, he kind of became a legend in itself to the nearby townspeople. Many stories were told about him and his feral behavior. When he was around 68, his remains were found eaten by animals. And he, he now has Yeah, he now has a grave marker that you can still visit today. And after his death, they found that Rivas was an avid reader and was actually highly educated with his own personal ri- library. So even though he was crazy, he 
he had his moments. <laughs> his um, all right. <laughs> his ranch house burnt down, but the foundation still stands, and there is a trail named after him called Revis Ranch. Yeah. That's it. That's Revis. He's a little crazy. Yeah, not my favorite. Hermit. Yeah, he's a, he's a crazy guy, and he probably should have just stayed by himself. Yeah. But it's fine. And the pictures of him are absolutely insane. <laughs> he's crazy looking. The next hermit that I'm going to talk about is a man named Valerio Ricchetti. He was an Italian immigrant who arrived in Australia at the age of 16. He worked at a young age in the mines until he got tired of it and worked a few different odd jobs that kept him busy. He then had a sort of run of bad luck. He went to a brothel and lost all of his money. He didn't spend it. He actually just left his wallet behind and the doorman wouldn't let him back in to get it. And Ricchetti threw a rock through one of the windows and he got arrested and had to serve time. When he was released, he had a few more odd jobs, but in the end became a swagman, which in Australian means someone who carries their belongings in a bag and searches for work. Did you just say in Australian? (laughs) (laughs) He made his way to Melbourne, Melbourne, where he sold his only remaining valuable, which was his leather coat, and he was conned by a stranger who took the coat and ran get good sorry he walked around 75 miles before arriving on the outskirts of a town where he found shelter from the storm under a large rock overhang and he spent the night there and when he woke up he was like hey this is kind of nice and he named it my sacred hill and lived in that overhang for 25 years this is like when you're playing minecraft and it turns night and you're like oh shit like i have to build a dirt house just so i'm like don't have to deal with the monsters and then, like, the next morning, you're like, wait, I can make this work. Yeah, <laughs> real. <laughs> he worked on his new home only at, night, only at night and early in the morning so that he can remain a mystery to the locals. And he was said to have moved hundreds of tons of stone and earth to create his structures. He actually stayed a hermit because he believed that he was the only Italian in the district. But he was actually mistaken because 60% of the population claimed Italian ancestry. Oh, my God. And obviously the townspeople were starting to notice the changes in the hill and would go up to investigate. And Ricchetti's response was to literally hide me every day of my life. Mm -hmm. He had his own little garden and used the town dump to get new clothes and decorated his walls with paintings and overall kept a clean and homey living space for himself, even though it was in a, a literal cave. A few years in, he fell off a boulder while working and broke his leg, and he was taken into the city of Griffith, which showed him that the townspeople weren't scary, and he actually started allowing visitors and meet new people. But this kind of backfired because as more people became aware of the odd man living in the hill, the more his name and origin started to be passed around. And as Ricchetti was living his peaceful hermit life during the World War II, the Australian security became convinced that he was an Italian spy and he was made a prisoner of war. The rest of his story is kind of wishy-washy, but he was sent to a mental institution where they called him disarranged and a lunatic, and he was released on the condition that he find proper accommodation in the town. And Valerio was not happy about that. He did not want to leave, so he lived with a friend of his in Canada continued to visit his former home in the hill. Mm -hmm. He later wanted to go back to Italy to visit his brother, and that's what he did, but sadly, he died at his brother's very soon after, 
and now you can still visit his garden and living spaces today. Crazy guy. Interesting. So the next hermit I'm going to talk about was one that is close to home and has a pretty interesting story. This hermit was Richard Rowe, and if you're familiar with Talking Hills, this is the story of Old Man's Cave. I've been to Old Man's Cave. Me too. Do you know the story? That was one of the nine-mile hikes that my father took me on. Oh, really? You went After all- saying that it was, like, three miles. I think it is three miles. Shout out, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know what, but we were nine miles in, and I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, he probably took you the scenic route. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is nine miles. No, well, he, I don't know what he did, but yeah, he did us dirty. Shout out, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> so the Rowe family lived in the Cumberland Mountains in eastern Tennessee before they made their way to Hucking Hills. It was just Richard and his two sons at this point when they migrated up through Kentucky and set up a trading post, and they worked there for the majority of their lives, but afterward he became a recluse and preferred to live alone in the forest. Richard took trips to the gorge and stayed there during trapping season by himself, so he was already kind of familiar with the area, and he stayed there for two years. At some point, he made his way over to his brothers in the Ozarks when he found out that his brother died and his sister-in-law had no money to support herself. He returned to the cave where he had money he could give her to support her, but he actually told nobody that he was going to his brothers in the first place, so they all assumed that he had died during that time, which is kind of funny. But one day upon his return, he stopped at a stream for water, and he was using a musket-type gun to crack the ice when the weapon fired and hit him under the chin. Girl. (laughs) Sorry. It was said that he was found two days later by trappers who gave him a proper burial. No one knows exactly where he was buried, but it is said that he was buried in his cave. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. So that's the story of the old man's cave. It's a fun hike. True. In Hawking Hills. Unless it's very pretty with Jeff, I guess. But yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, it's very pretty. But now I'm kind of creeped out to think that there's yeah. a possibility that this guy is buried in the cave, or almost even creepier that he's buried somewhere in yeah. the woods. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. So we're getting closer to present-day hermits. Our next hermit is Moro Morandi, who somewhat inspired this episode. I love this man. Moro Morandi was another Italian hermit, which I don't know why there are so many Italian hermits, but it's just in us to be recluses. Moro Morandi is an interesting guy. In 1989, Morandi washed up on the coast of Bedelli Island after his boat broke down, which in a crazy coincidence, Morandi found out that the island's caretaker was retiring and was like, hey, you want my job? (laughs) And Morandi was like, hell yeah, and he spent over 30 years doing so. That's exactly how the the conversation went, by the way. Yeah, I'm not Those were sure. quotes, direct quotes. Mm-hmm. The only time he ever left the island was twice a year to visit his daughters in Italy. His time on the island was something he cherished. He is quoted saying that he hated people, so he especially loved the winter when me. he could enjoy the island by himself. Me, me. Mirandi loved the storms on the island. One of his favorite days was when the waves reached 18 feet and Mirandi just stood outside and watched the storm. Such a, such dad. His story really was brought to light when the 2020 quarantine happened, of course, and everyone was like, this guy has been doing it for 30 years, so can we. 
and he really had a burst of popularity when he discovered his love of photography. He started posting pictures on Instagram. He talks a lot about how he opened up with sharing the beauty of the island with people all around the world. He even collected juniper logs on the island and shaped them into sculptures, and he would sell them to tourists, then donate all the money to NGOs all around the world. In the early 90s, the island was declared of having a high natural value by the Italian government, and that meant that the island would be closed off in order to protect its fragile or ecosystem. And then Mauro Morandi would be the only one on the island. His story has a kind of sad ending because in 2016, after a three-year legal battle between a New Zealand businessman and the Italian government for ownership of the land, a court ruled that the- Hi guys, this is Jada. Sorry the episode kind of cut off a little bit, but we had some technical difficulties and finished filming the episode and then it got all deleted. Maybe I'll throw in the cute little rap that it made into the words that we were saying, but I had one more hermit to talk about, but we didn't get to do that. We also were too tired to figure out how to fix it, so we're ending the episode here. If you want, um, check out Moro Morandi on the Instagram. He is an adorable human being. I love him. Look at the pictures of him. He's such a sweetheart. And the last tournament that I was going to talk about is Christopher Knight. Christopher Knight was an interesting fellow, and he lived in the woods for 27 years and robbed a bunch of people. And I read a book about him. If you're interested or if you like this episode, check out The Extraordinary Life of the Last True Hermit by Michael Finkel. So if you're interested, check it out. And the question of the week is, if you had to hermit, where would you hermit? Basically, you can hermit anywhere you want. I know Zoe will answer on the Spotify questionnaire thing. I personally want to live off the grid at some point in my life, but I don't know when that'll be. I, and I don't know where, honestly. I think I might take the Christopher Knight route and live somewhere in the woods by myself. But yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for continuously supporting us. Next week's going to be a bang-ass episode, so make sure to tune in. And we're getting into spooky season. So you guys should be excited for what is to come. Thank you.